Blog Talk Radio. Security for Birds program and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's Sweet P. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. 
That's StrombergsChickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Uh, brought to you by Combox Eats as we enter our 10th year of broadcasting. 10 years, yep, 10-year uh, episode 2, our uh, cumulative total of, I think, 1,121 episodes uh, is today. So thank you very much for tuning in, all the homeschoolers out there that incorporate this radio show into their uh, agricultural curriculum and science curriculum and whatnot, all the over-the-road truck drivers that listen to the show. Uh, so when they get back home, they can tend to their chickens um, we hear from you on occasion as well. All the feed stores that stream this radio show live every day, uh, we broadcast. Thank you very much for doing so. All of our archive listeners, and I uh, can't name all of you because there's thousands of you, but thank you very much for tuning in when you can, either live or on the podcast. Okay, I've got a, a, a challenge for you. I mentioned this a little bit on last week's show towards the end, so I'll start mentioning it a little bit on today's show in the beginning. Um, we'll just take a minute. I want you to go, even if it's outside, right now, take a little break. I want you to go, if you are one that gives mealworms to your chickens, you give mealworms to your chickens as a, as a snack or a treat or a, a cringe supplement, whatever your terminology is, you, you have some mealworms laying around uh, that you give to your chickens. I'm going to take a minute. I want you to go get those right now for me. Okay, we're going to give you a little break. Go and get that little bag uh, of um, mealworms that you're giving your chickens on a regular basis because they just flock to you when you walk outside shaking that bag. <laughs> no pun intended. And um, I'm going to give you a minute to go, to go do that. Um, and then when you get back, I'm going to ask you to do something and ask you a question. But uh, um, today's uh, topic is absolutely awesome. It's choosing the right bedding for your backyard chickens. Bedding is important. We know that. Um, and we're going to be talking about choosing the right bedding. What, what, which we need to know what is the right bedding for your uh, scenario. Uh, we want to know basically um, what types that are out there, the pros and cons of each, the purpose of bedding. Um, and, and I think there are a lot of important purposes for bedding, both in the backyard and the commercial world. Um, one of those important things that people seem to forget about uh, is if you have a coop with high roosts, 
Well, when those uh, eight-pound birds, some of them, you know, get pretty heavy, uh, fly down to the floor of the coop, they need some cushion. And bedding can assist with that many, 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 many inches of bedding. If I had a nickel or a dime for every time someone called into the show, we have poultry vets on and scientists and what. And um, uh, chickens have a lot of times it's traced back to the roost, not necessarily being too high, but there's not enough bedding on the floor when they jump down and they get injured. Uh, bone injuries, leg injuries, tendons, uh, all this stuff with the leg and they're limping, things like that. So, so that could be uh, a useful purpose for uh, for bedding in the coop. Obviously, uh, absorption and and, and really this, the decade we've been doing the show, we always hear from the experts. You know, at the end of the day, we want our bedding to be um, soft and absorbent. Those really are two key that we hear day in and day out from the true poultry experts that come on the show and, and talk about this topic, soft and uh, absorbent. Uh, I'll go over here in just a minute and during break, the next break, and pull the new book that is now released, uh, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. Uh, it's out in stores. It's on Amazon. You can get that, and, and I think there's a betting in there that I'll, I'll uh, flip through uh, about sand and how it was deemed, at least in the book, uh, from uh, poultry scientist Dr. McCray, the sand may not be, or may you may not want that to be your number one choice for bedding in the coop, not necessarily outside in the run, but in the coop. And, and she explains about uh, things to think about when you're using sand, or maybe not using sand in the coop. So we've got a great show lined up for you today, choosing the right bedding for your backyard chickens. Our guest, uh, of course, is the great uh, poultry veterinarian. Dr. Maurice Pateskin, he'll be joining us here in just a second. So hopefully you've gotten back to your listening area, your laptop, wherever, with your mealworms that you've went and collected. You don't need the whole 15-pound bag. And, yeah, I know some of y'all buy them 15 pounds at a time. Um, just a, a little 7- or 8-ounce bag is fine. Put about 4 or 5 in your hand and feel them. See what kind of consistency they have in your hand. Just look at them, roll them around in your hand, you know, with your finger. And then here's the test. I want you to take one of those mealworms. I want you to break it in half. And when you break that mealworm in half, snap. I want you to look inside of that mealworm and tell me what you see. Nothing. I bet by far the majority of you who are participating in this little uh, questionnaire, if you will. Um, when you break those that mealworm in half, or even the um, black fly, the soldier black fly soldier fly larva. Um, when you have that, uh, take that snap it in half and look inside of that. But mostly the mealworms we're talking about because they just seem to be so popular in the backyard poultry world. What do you see in there? Nothing. It's hollow. There's nothing there. It's just like this crusty uh, shell of what used to be a mealworm. Um, and what happened to all – why is it empty? Why, why, how do you think that uh, mealworm became empty? Maybe it's the process of which they freeze-dry them, dry them, cook them, whatever the case may be, uh, and all the – we'll just call it the good stuff inside that mealworm is destroyed. When you think about it, and these aren't cheap. Okay, you're spending a lot of money on these mealworms. And what are you buying? You're just a crusty shell. You're, you have nothing inside, nothing, not the good stuff, the nutritional stuff, the guts of the worm. So I um, just wanted to uh, see what you thought about that. There's probably the next radio show. Yeah, uh, around the 15th, uh, we're partnering with a, uh, a new product, which didn't take long for me to sign off on this thing. And um, a little bit 
each week, show by show, um, we'll be kind of explaining in simple format why you may want to switch over to a different mealworm. Because you just noticed yourselves snapping that little mealworm in half, you're paying all that big bucks for hollow, no good stuff in the middle. It's all disappeared. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this later in the next couple of episodes, but I wanted you to go out and experience that firsthand for yourself uh, when you go and pay big money for those mealworms and see it's just this crusty little shell outside layer, and that's it. You're missing something that's very, very important with that. So uh, think about that. Alrighty, let's get over here to the uh, phone line so we can get. Hey, go get that uh, chicken whisper notebook. Long-time listeners have them. Spiral notebook, taking notes, um, so you can refer back to this uh, whenever you need to. We'll go to the phone lines right now and bring on my good friend, poultry veterinarian Maurice, Doctor Maurice Petesky. Hey, Maurice, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Andy. Congratulations on your book. That's a great accomplishment. Thank you so much. You were a huge part of that book, of course, uh, along with uh, some other true experts in their field that um, you know are capable of answering these uh, questions that so many people have, or these uh, myths, rumors, and whatnot uh, that, that are spread uh, like wildfire. So thank you very much. It wouldn't have been possible without the true experts in their field uh, answering these uh, and responding to these um, statements that we see flooding all over the uh, over the internet. So no, thank thank you. You you deserve a uh, congratulations as well. Um, so choosing the right uh, bedding bedding is obviously important. I, I did send you over because uh, it is kind of related to the show that link. And, and I guess it wasn't a study, maybe a finding. I don't know. There was, it was some studies, and everybody seems to call everything a study these days. But um, uh, about the um, uh, broilers on on bedding in um, or on litter in uh, the the commercial houses where uh, they had shown that when they start young broilers, I guess as chicks, that they have a decreased chance of getting um, a particular disease when they're actually started on used bedding versus brand new, fresh, wonderful smelling new. Uh, bedding or chips, I guess, if you will. So we maybe can incorporate that a little bit and, and why we think they think that's the case in the show. But uh, really concentrating on the smaller flocks, the hobby flocks, the backyard flocks. But I'm going to turn it over to you, sir, and we can talk about the importance of bedding, what the goal of bedding is, and some some good beddings, beddings we may not want to choose. And there may be an array of answers there. We're you know, bedding in the um, nest box or bedding in the coop or bedding in the run or, you know, that, that boring out in the run, that type of thing where uh, we can differentiate between those. But uh, we'd love to hear your uh, two cents worth on bedding for our backyard flocks. Great. Well, um, you know, kind of from the, I always like starting at the, at the biggest possible kind of 10,000 foot perspective. And uh, <laughs> the one thing, and I, 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 it's interesting how many backyards uh, that I've been to that don't have bedding and they just have kind of a dirt pad um, or uh, something to the equivalent of that. And, and I think um, it's really important to realize that, that bedding um, is really important, um, but it's also important to have really good bedding. Um, you, can, you can, if you don't have bedding, if you don't have the right type of material, you can actually do more harm than good. Um, but this type of bedding, you know, what we call litter or bedding or substrate, uh, it's really important for the bird's health, and not just for their health, for their welfare, um, you know, having bedding is really important because it allows birds to do dust bathing and things like that. So 
It's really important. I think um, if I had to guess, at least out in California from all the backyards that I've been to, um, I'd say the majority of backyards do not have any kind of bedding material. Um, they're usually pretty good about having some kind of material in nest boxes because um, they want to make sure eggs don't crack and people put straw in nest boxes and things like that. But um, you don't typically, for whatever reason, uh, find bedding. It might be because we have more uh, temperate climates than other parts of the country um, because bedding is a great insulator. Um, it's good at keeping birds warm for the most part. Um, but it is something to consider. And, and for the folks that have it, uh, the majority of folks that have it usually end up reusing it and eventually uh, using it as a soil amendment. So we have a lot of master gardeners in California, and a lot of those master gardeners will use that material because uh, it's so high in nitrogen um, as a soil amendment. But um, there's also a lot of questions about when they use that as a soil amendment. Oh, sorry. Let me I was going to ask you this, too. Um, that, that really I mean, that honestly surprises me. My, my jaw kind of dropped there. when then huh. Just in, in your neck of the woods and, and you visiting the numerous backyard blocks you visited, that you're saying that the majority don't have any bedding. Number one, that surprises me as many, really in the last five years, the number of bedding folks that have kind of jumped on that bandwagon, not saying good or bad, with all their specialized bedding and moisture absorption and all these additives and things. But here's here's my question. Do you, in your mind, obviously not scientific, but would you say that, um, this would be interesting to, to, to uh, acknowledge, coops that have um, some type of floor, like like maybe your, your fancy Amish coop that's got that wooden floor and it's built up off the ground a little bit, versus maybe just a coop that's got, uh, and I've had both, just uh, it's, a, it's a nice structured custom coop, but it just sits on the ground. There's no floor, just the dirt underneath the coop so that the floor is not there. Um, would you say that you've seen a pattern that the folks that have the coop, for example, that have a floor, a plywood floor, say, um, in those type of coops, tend to use bedding versus ones that just put it on the dirt that don't use bedding because they're thinking, oh, there's just dirt there already. I already have kind of a bedding, and it's dirt. Have you noticed any of that? I guess kind of brainstorming, thinking back, where you see more use of bedding with those coops with the plywood floor um, versus just a dirt floor. Yeah, I think if I understand your question correctly, I, I, I'd probably agree with that. I think sometimes people think that the dirt pad um, is equivalent mm -hmm. to having bedding, um, and they just kind of use that as their bedding. And, and there's reasons right. that you want bedding um, as opposed to um, when you have that concrete floor or those or those two-by-fours um, or plywood or whatever it be, um, those folks are usually a little more inclined to, to put bedding on, if, that, if I understood your question correctly. Yeah, I was just curious. That, yeah, that, that, yeah, people assuming since they had just a dirt floor, they wouldn't need to invest in that. And I've been a lot of people, that I can see this theory of thinking. It's just, uh, I had bedding there, and then they just poop, and it gets nasty. i got to throw it away. Or I know a lot of people, we comp stars. So like, what a waste of money. I just, I got dirt. I'll put pine straw in there that I've collected out in the woods because I have a pine thicket, or, or, or they're getting creative leaves in the fall, and they use that as their bedding, trying to be, I guess, eco-friendly and things like that. I guess there's a biosecurity issue related with all of those kind of uh, options that they're gathering from elsewhere in their yard. But um, I've seen that as well, pine, uh, pine needles or uh, leaves in the, and what they, you know, chip them up in the chipper leaves and spread them out as, as bedding and things like that. But I'm sure we'll get to that. But uh, I was just curious about that being the type of coop may determine the type of bedding, if at all, people may use in, the, in their backyard. 
Um, yeah, no. So, so I think to your point, um, betting is, is really important. And I think for whatever reason, it kind of gets ignored. It could be because of the, our, our relatively temperate climate out here. And I think the reason I think people sometimes forget about it a little um, is it, I think one thing I want to remind people, it's important to have litter because what's the goal of litter? The goal of litter from a, from a microbiological perspective is to support the digestion of uh, fecal material and the bacteria that are present in that fecal material. material. So that's one kind of goal, and and that happens aerobically and anaerobically. So aerobically is just a fancy way of saying uh, metabolism with oxygen, and anaerobic is just a fancy way of saying um, metabolism without oxygen. So if you get, um, you know, three, four inches of bedding like you typically want, of let's say rice holes or pine shavings or whatever it be, and we'll talk about those options in a minute, the deeper uh, layers are typically anaerobic, and the more superficial layers are typically aerobic. And that's a great way, and the birds do a great job of kind of uh, tilling the, the litter material. It's a great way of not only absorbing moisture because um, poultry – fecal material is it has some moisture to it and you want to absorb that moisture and we'll talk about why that's so in a minute but it does a great job that litter material mixed with the the fecal material uh, does a great job of helping to break down uh, and digest that fecal material and um, um, also uh, transform the microorganisms that are in in that material into uh, their amino acids and uh, other kind of constituents that are not um, pathogenic, for example. So that's really important. If you don't have bedding, you're not going to be able to do that very effectively. Now, if you have three chickens and you've got a coop that's, you know, 20, 30, 40 square feet, it's, it's, it's a little less likely that you're going to have maybe some of these problems. But I would still suggest that you need some type of, of bedding material because um, if you get too much moisture, there's a lot of research out there that when you get moisture on bedding or moisture on anywhere, um, that you're much more likely to have uh, disease issues eventually, coccidia and E. coli and all these bacteria that can be pathogenic um, to our birds and sometimes to us too. They thrive in moist, wet conditions. So we want to create a kind of dry environment. And then also from a welfare perspective, Litter is really important. Uh, Birds want to exhibit their natural behaviors, and like we talked about a a minute ago, scratching and dust bathing are a lot easier to do um, if you have some type of bedding material. So um, it is is standard practice in in the broiler industry to have bedding. It is standard practice in the layer industry, in the non-caged layer industry to have bedding. Um, In the cage industry, there are no, there is no bedding material. Um, because they're caged. And the advantage, one of the advantages to that approach, there's advantages and disadvantages to everything, but one of the advantages of that system is that the birds literally poop through a wire cage onto a conveyor belt, and the conveyor belt takes all the poop away. Um, so they're not exposed to the fecal material. Obviously, we, our backyard birds don't have that kind of environment um, or that kind of system to work with. So if you weren't going to have bedding, that would be the only kind of system where um, the disease issue would be mitigated by having that fecal material basically um, on a conveyor belt uh, transported away from the birds and away from the house eventually. Um, so those are the main reasons you want bedding. And, and I think you, you hit on something uh, that's, I think, really important uh, earlier when you talked about 
the whole idea of what's underneath the bedding. Um, so we do want bedding, but it's really important to consider what's underneath the bedding. So a lot of backyards, and this is totally fine, uh, have a dirt pad underneath that bedding. Um, a lot of backyards do have, you know, they've got a concrete pad or they've got wood that's treated. Um, the advantage of having, for example, a concrete pad is you can clean and disinfect your house, uh, the floor of your house. You can, you can clean and disinfect um, concrete very easily. Uh, wood's a little more challenging. If it's treated properly, you can certainly um, do something very similar to what you can do with concrete. But concrete is, is by far the easiest thing to clean and disinfect. Now, most of us and most of the broiler industry uh, and layer industry doesn't have concrete pads. Every once in a while they do. Um, but um, to that point, you can't clean and disinfect dirt. It just doesn't work. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you know, I've, I've had backyard um, people email me or call and ask questions about, well, can I take a flamethrower to it? And I'm like, well, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of people ask me that question, which has been kind of funny. <laughs> at the end of the day, you're still not going to get past, um, you know, past that, that top layer. You're, you might disinfect that, that top layer of dirt, but once that next, you know, layer is exposed, then it's still dirt and there's a lot of bacteria and microbes in there. Um, lots of good bacteria, obviously, in soil. But the point is, the whole point of the bedding is to take the fecal material um, and to transform that fecal material into its um, um, nitrogenous and carbonaceous nitrogen and carbon um, um, chemicals. And then those chemicals eventually uh, are, are harmless and actually um, have a lot of value as soil amendments, for example. But if you don't have that bedding, um, that doesn't happen, and then you get a lot, of, um, a lot of bacteria. And the bacteria are really important because those bacteria, among other things, can produce ammonia, um, and ammonia can cause a lot of welfare problems. Um, so among other issues, if you walk into a, a house or a backyard uh, coop and you have that strong ammonia smell, not only is it bad for our lungs and their lungs, but it also can cause corneal ulcers. Um, so if you do look at your chicken's eyes and you do notice um, kind of this opaqueness, um, or they're squinting a lot and tearing a lot, that, that can be um, secondary to a bedding issue related to ammonia concentration. Um, so it's really important to have um, bedding can be related to a lot of different kind of things, welfare issues, uh, food safety issues, um, and production issues, as we'll talk about. That, that um, our, our basic goal when we think about why we want bedding is we want to break down um, all the bad bacteria. We want to eliminate... Um, it, it, uh, issues with uh, odor formation, um, and we want to allow the birds to exhibit their natural um, behaviors, like we mentioned. So, when you choose literature, literature, when you choose litter or bedding, you, there's a couple things you want to think about. Um, there are a lot of different beddings, and, and we'll talk about some of them. A lot of it depends on where you are in the country. So, out here in Northern California, um, we have a decent amount of rice farms. So we get to use uh, rice hulls, um, which is basically the outer um, kind of uh, structure um, that doesn't get consumed by humans. So it's a great interface between, you know, rice farmers um, who are growing rice, obviously. The rice gets used for humans. And then the rice hull, which is kind of considered a quote-unquote waste product, gets used by the poultry industry and by backyarders um, who are keen to, to use that. Um, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the, but the point I want to make is that the whole goal of bedding, among other things, is really to reduce moisture. 
Um, so whatever you can do to reduce moisture is really going to be a reasonable and appropriate bedding material. And we'll, we'll talk about a couple other uh, issues, but I really want people to focus when they think about bedding, you want to get material that reduces moisture. So straw um, doesn't reduce moisture unless you chop up that straw uh, to probably below, not probably, but, but from when you look at the literature, below about two and a half centimeters or so, it has to be chopped up for it to really be effective. Um, but what I would suggest for people is people get creative and they try using all types of things, including some of the things that you mentioned with leaves in their backyard, going through wood chippers and things like that. Things will work, and, and just because the literature doesn't say anything on it, it, this is where we have to kind of, especially for backyarders, they have to kind of um, look at the results themselves. So I can comment on some of the things that, that I know about, but there's always going to be a thing or two, um, like leaves in a wood chipper, where I'm going to be like, huh, that's kind of an interesting one. There's a lot of dust created from that, so I'd be a little skeptical of that part of it. But, but the big thing you really want to focus on is moisture um, absorption. So when you think about the essential properties of bedding, um, A, you want to reduce um, moisture like we talked about. So you want bedding that has good water holding capacity um, and also that dries relatively well, especially this time of year with all the high humidity that we're having and the rain that we're having. Um, if, it, if it absorbs moisture, that's, that's great, but past a certain point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reach its absorption a water holding capacity, and then it's going to start. You're start. You're going to start getting kind of a, a water issues there. And if it doesn't, if the humidity is high, also like it is in the winter time in North America, typically, um, you're not going to be able to get rid of any of that excess water, and that can, can become a real challenge. Um, the other thing you want to think about is kind of the, what we call the the friability of the liver, of, of the litter or of the bedding material. So big picture, when you pick up bedding, because you know, they'll talk about for each bedding material how much moisture capacity it has. Well, we can't really measure that very easily. Um, we don't want to do too many scientific experiments on that. So when you walk into a poultry house and you pick up the litter, you want to pick up the litter and you want to kind of squeeze it in your hand and in your fist and make a fist out of it. If any moisture is coming out of that, then there is too much moisture in that litter. But the other thing is you don't want your bedding material to be uh, volatile. You don't want it to be powdery. Um, you don't want it to be like dusty um, because that's not good for lungs. Uh, that's not good for the air quality for the people that walk in there or for the birds that are in there. So you don't want it to be too, um, you don't want to be able to throw it up in the air and just have this big dust storm come from it. So you want it to be what we call friable. And that just means I can, I can pick it up, squeeze it together, and then kind of take it apart in chunks. Um, so hopefully that makes some sense there. But that's really the test you want to do. When you walk into your house, when you walk into your poultry house or your backyard coop, um, you want to pick up some of the litter. You want to smell it, um, and you want to squeeze it um, and make sure it doesn't have, an, uh, from the smell perspective, make sure it doesn't have a strong ammonia smell or a strong fecal material smell, um, and you don't want it also to, um, to be able to squeeze any water out of it. Um, so when we think about all the different types of bedding material, um, you know, pine shavings are, are commonly used, uh, sawdust bark, bark and chips, stump chips, pine needles, chopped pine needles, rice holes, peanut holes, uh, almond holes, uh, ground corn cobs, sand gets used. We'll talk about that a little later because I know um, um, that was mentioned in your, in your book. Uh, straw, wheat straw, uh, barley, grasses, uh, sugar cane, 
uh, shredded newspaper and clay. Those all get used, um, um, but um, there's different advantages and disadvantages. But the things you want to think about, you want to have something that absorbs moisture, um, and you want something that can dry relatively easy and you want easily, and you want something that has um, high friability. Again, that friability term where if I take a chunk of, of that bedding or that litter material and I smush it in my hand, um, I can kind of break it up into chunks. Um, so the big picture is you want to select bedding um, that uh, avoids wetness. Um, but I want to make a point if you do have bedding that's got a lot of moisture in it, that could be for various reasons, including your birds are sick. So uh, one thing to think about is that if your birds are drinking too much water, um, some of the reasons they might drink too much water is maybe they're getting a feed that is high in calcium or maybe they're getting a feed that is high in salt. So those are things that typically make the birds drink more than you uh, kind of calculate those birds drinking for, or maybe you have too much, too many birds in your house. The density of the birds is too much. So for backyards, I typically recommend um, no more than one bird for two square feet is my kind of ideal calculation for backyards. Um, so if you have a density higher than that, and you're noticing that you've got ammonia smells, and you still have all this lit, these litter, you still have good quality litter there. Um, one of the things you might want to consider is, is the density of the birds, but they might also have some disease problems. So when birds get coccidiosis or when they get a nutritional uh, disease related to increased salt, for example, that makes them drink more. That makes their, that makes them, uh, their, their litter material, that makes their, their fecal material, excuse me, a lot wetter than you typically calculate or assume it's going to be, and that could contribute to um, reaching the moisture capacity of that litter material. So my point is, is that don't just think about the bedding material um, when you're thinking about, well, why is the bedding material not quote-unquote working? It could be related to you have too many birds in your house. It could be related to, hey, I'm not giving my birds the proper nutrition because I'm supplementing them with all these other things that aren't really part of a balanced diet. So uh, when we talk about things like chicken scratch and when we talk about um, some of the extra, you know, goodies that people are giving their birds, uh, those aren't part of a balanced ration. And I'm all for kind of spoiling our chickens, um, but I just don't want us to do it at the expense of their of their actual health. Um, so it's really important to kind of kind of think about that. Um, so when we think about some of these materials, so I am most familiar with rice hulls. And rice hulls, if you can get them, I know in the mid-Atlantic states and California, we have a lot of rice hulls. That is a great material. Straw is not such a great material um, when it is whole straw. So I see a lot of people um, who use the same uh, straw in their nest boxes, which are great at kind of catching eggs and making sure eggs don't break. They'll use that same straw um, in their as, as a bedding material, and it's terrible as a bedding material, but great in nest boxes. So if you are going to use straw or uh, rapeseed or, or wheat straw or anything like that, uh, you need to make sure it's chopped up. Um, and like I said earlier, you want it chopped up below two and a half centimeters. You don't want it as a dust, um, and I think that sometimes people get a little... Um, like we all do, we kind of think more is better. So I think they sometimes chop it up a little more than you would uh, than you would prefer. But kind of having that two to two and a half centimeter um, 
uh, length is when you look at the literature is actually a really good um, um, uh, diam diameter, a good length to have. Um, so there are other materials obviously out there. Sawdust is actually pretty good. It's a great absorbent, um, but the sawdust is also um, has a has a has kind of a higher dust um, kind of associated with it, and, and the dust is not great for for air quality. So um, just be aware that the the two things you want to think about when you're thinking about bedding are ability to absorb moisture, and again, um, you don't want it to have um, too much dust associated with it. So this time of year, sawdust is pretty good because there's a lot of humidity in the air, so that would kind of keep some of the um, the dust down. But in the summertime, um, that sawdust is probably not ideal. I know we all want to use things that we have easy access to, so uh, sawdust and, and, and things like that, I can understand why people are keen to um, um, to address that. Uh, on the other side, so sawdust, for example, is this great absorbent. Um, you know, we all have used that in our garages when, when we have to absorb whatever it be. Um, the other things that are, uh, but it's but it's it's really bad when it comes to dust. Uh, in in contrast, uh, sunflower shells are really good at at, at dust um, issues, but they're terrible as an absorbent. So I'd say if you have a few birds in your backyard. Um, and you want to give them um, some type of substrate or some type of litter material, um, then sunflower shells might be a really good um, substrate litter material to, to select because you're, you don't need a ton of, of absorption, especially if you have a relatively large um, amount of space for your birds. Um, but if you have a lot of birds packed into a small area, let's say you're in an urban area and you've got five chickens and um, you know, the equivalent of 10 square feet, in that situation you probably want to choose you know, something that's much more absorbent, like the wood shavings, for example, the chopped straw, chopped rapeseed uh, straw, for example, or, um, or rice hulls, um, which, again, I, I, I like quite a bit, but um, I, I've hey, gotten hey, quite on used the, to um, on, the, on the rice hulls, um, if I remember correctly, we've touched on that in the past. You may have mentioned something about this, and I may have missed it, but the... Um, the fact that, if I remember correctly, they are very, I don't know the tech, the word, heat resistance. Almost, they don't catch fire. They don't burn or they don't ignite as easy. They're almost, almost fireproof, I guess you'd say. Have you, have you seen that with the rice holes or heard of that, about that, that bedding? So is that, are, you, are you concerned with when you compost it and, and reaching temperatures above 170F? And, and is that the... It normally, not necessarily. Normally, it comes into light or comes to play, or as mentioned, when we talk about uh, a heat lamp, like it falls into the brooder and you're using uh, light in your brooder, or or, cool, or maybe it falls down into the bedding of where the, the pine shaving seems to super ignite, where, where the rice holes really have the, a resistance to that. It just in, in your um, doings, have you heard that come up at, at all regarding the rice holes? Rice holes. Not, not really. I mean, it's it's the rice holes okay. are used by the commercial folks, so that typically hasn't been. You know, the brooders are a little bigger, a little more stable, maybe in right, their right, right. Uh, in their world. But that's an interesting point. I would imagine with the wood shavings, you know, you have to be really careful. And I'm not an expert in this area, but you have to be really careful about what wood shavings you actually do use. Um, that's why the pine shavings is is a really good choice. But there are some woods, especially you know, if you're get, using any woods that are treated, um, you certainly have. Uh, volatile chemicals in there that can be very bad for everyone's health. Um, so mm -hmm. I would imagine, especially if they're volatile and they're, and they're mixing with, um, and you're keeping your humidity low, 
um, and you've got a brooder there, you know, you, you kind of are creating, setting yourself up for um, potential um, potential fires. So I, I would agree with that, especially when it comes to wood shavings versus the rice hulls. Um, and the rice hulls are good absorbents. So if you're using some of these harder woods that might not absorb as much moisture, um, you know, the rice hulls are already have a pretty high humidity associated with them. Um, so they, they might be a little less likely to be volatile, if that's if that's what your question is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Great. Um, and then... Um, you know, the other thing that, that I really want to mention is is when you walk into a house, um, you know, always you always want to, you know, look and listen and smell. Um, so odor formation, we talked about ammonia, but if you walk into a house and it smells bad, it should not. I've walked into poultry houses where you literally have 30,000 birds in one house, and it smells perfectly fine. You don't smell dust. Um, you know, you, you don't smell any ammonia smell. And then on the other side, I've walked into much smaller houses where – you shouldn't smell any of that based upon the number of birds in there, and you do smell ammonia, and you do smell, um, you know, fecal material and things like that. So, you know, you really want to it, – it's so important. I know we all have other things to do, and um, it's really important. I always tell students when I'm working with them, don't be a robot. Don't walk into the coop and, you know, just do feed and, and, and water. That That's not what you're, you know, you're being paid for. That's not why you're doing an internship. That's not why you're in 4-H. You want to be a scientist. You want to walk in there like a veterinarian, and you want to pick up birds. You want to look at the feed. You want to um, feel the water, all those type of things, and, and you want to assess the litter quality. That should be part of kind of your normal routine, and it's really important. We've talked about this before, why we want to always feel and smell and hear normal so when something abnormal happens, we really know, hey, there's something weird going on here. Um, I'm noticing um, you know, the, the, the fecal mature is a little too wet right now. Is it wet because the, there's a litter issue or is it wet because um, maybe we tried a new feed and maybe the, maybe the ration was, was, was mixed up? Maybe there was too much salt or too much calcium um, in, in their feed or maybe we're dealing with a disease issue. So some of these uh, viruses like infectious bursal disease, infectious bronchitis, they can affect kidneys um, and can make um, birds um, – uh, drink more than normal um, or make their kidneys not function as well so they'll have more moisture um, that's in their fecal material so those are all things we really want to look at and it seems like such a simple thing um, but most of us just don't do that um, and it's really important to kind of you know be be a scientist about this walk into a house take notes um, and really try to assess what normal is so you can understand when something abnormal happens um, so the the big thing is we we want to select material um, that avoids moisture, right? That's our that's our that's our big thing. The other thing we want to think about though also is, and this is what um, the issue with sand is, uh, we want to pick material that is um, that that helps the birds maintain their optimal temperature. And it's really important to realize that. When chicks are below a week old, it is very difficult for them to maintain the proper body temperature. So that's why we have brooder lamps. Um, and, and what people sometimes assume is that when they have their, their brooder set up, that if they put a thermometer underneath the, brood, underneath the brooder, that if they get you know, 95 degrees Fahrenheit in that first week or so, that that's the temperature that the birds have. The problem is, is that um, if the floor is not warm, 
um, those birds can lose a lot of heat through that through that floor. So if you have concrete floors, for example, concrete I was mentioning earlier is a great surface for cleaning, but concrete you can lose a lot, of, especially in the winter time, you can lose a lot of heat through that. So that's one of the other reasons we want to use litter material, especially while we're brooding our birds. But sand, interestingly enough, doesn't reach warm temperatures very well for brooding. Um, plus, it's not as good as an absorbent with respect to ammonia um, from some of the literature that um, Dr. McGrahey has um, kind of unearthed and, and, and included in, uh, in, in your book. So sand might not be the best material to use. Um, the other thing that, that uh, Dr. McGrahey pointed out was that um, it, it, it can get very heavy um, and it can be very difficult to move in and out of houses. Um, so unless you have a free pile of sand that you have access to, um, and unless you can, and they'll do this in some parts of the world in the, in, 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 for when they're brooding birds, they'll actually heat up the sand um, either in the sun um, before they move it into a house. Um, in, in, into a brooding house in order to address um, some of those issues related to, um, to heat. So it's probably not the best material, but um, I'm, I'm not opposed to using it. There are a couple things I am opposed to using, and uh, the big one is shredded newspaper, um, and the other big one is, is straw that is not chopped up. Those are the two ones that I, I, I am not um, too keen on. I'm sure there are other ones. Um, and I'll talk to farmers periodically, especially in California, because we just have so many different crops. Um, so we grow, you know, I, I've had people reach out to me on almond holes and broccoli stems and peanut holes and, you know, all these things that, that typically I'm just not that familiar with. Um, and I certainly appreciate that people want to, you know, reuse the, you know, the quote-unquote waste products. Um, but there's just not a lot of, of, of science on that. That being said... You know, think about the two things that we talked about. So if you do have something that you have easy access to, you don't have to pay any money for, you know, think about, okay, is it, is it absorbing moisture? Is it good at that? And second of all, um, we're not getting any, confirm that you're not getting uh, any kind of dusty material um, which can affect the air quality and create particulate matter. So those are the two things that you really want to kind of use as your guidelines. As, as, and, and also, you know, reach out to extension vets reach out to your own veterinarian, you know, kind of look around. But um, when it comes to, to litter quality and all the different types of material that are out there, um, it's a long list. I mean, I gave a, a, a list a little earlier, and I was looking at it. It was from some literature I was pulling up <clears throat> when I was looking um, into this. And things like ground corn cobs, I'm like, oh, that sounds like it would work, but I'm not sure. And then sugarcane, I have no experience with that. Um, the newspaper and, and clay, I mean, those are things I'm just not that familiar with. Newspaper I do not like because it just does not absorb and it creates a really strong ammonia smell. And I, I think that's one of the common uh, kind of no-no-nos you see kind of especially for forage. Right. Um, exactly. So a couple hey, – Hold that yeah. thought you can hold that thought. I'm going to go to break. I've got 2.45 Eastern, and so I'm going to try to go to uh, and, and run our second break here for a second, if you don't mind, when we come back. I'll mention something also uh, about sand, and then we will uh, continue, um, if you don't mind. We are talking with poultry veterinarian Maurice Pateski. Our topic today is choosing the right bedding for your backyard chickens if you tuned in late. Um, no worries. This show will be archived into a podcast uh, shortly after this show is over. You can go back and listen and rewind and fast forward as much as you like to get uh, to add to your notes if you've been tuning in or if you're just tuning in to uh, go back and listen from the beginning so you don't miss anything. But we will return with more Choosing the Right Bedding for Your Backyard Chickens with Dr. Maurice Pateski right after this short break. Stay with us. 
When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. How would you like to sleep in on the weekends without having to get up early to let your chickens out or not have to rush home after eating dinner to shut your chickens in for the night? And who's had the unfortunate surprise that a raccoon, possum, or fox got to your chickens because you forgot to close the coop? Well, your days of worrying have come to an end. Introducing the Chicken Guard Automatic Chicken Coop Door Opener. Working off either the timer or light sensor, Chicken Guard automatically opens your coop door in the morning to let the girls out and shuts it at night to keep them safe. Tried and trusted by over 40,000 users worldwide. Buy Chicken Guard online at chickenguardian.com or your local farm and feed store. That's chickenguardian.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today 
on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends, Calm Mock Feeds. And today's topic, choosing the right bedding for your backyard chickens. And our guest today, Dr. Maurice Pateski. We'll get back over to the phone lines um, right uh, now. That was something I was going to say. Oh, at the sand thing. At the end of the day, most folks that, that come on, we talk about bedding, we talk about sand in the past, and uh, they see that really at the end of the day, the only advantage with, say, sand in the coop is that you can almost utilize it as a cat litter box. You can go in daily with this little kind of slotted spoon, if you will, and just pick up the little um, chicken poop and then carry on with your day. Um, And I think at the end of the day, that's uh, about, from what I've seen, the advantages of that, at least the useful advantages I see from people have used sand in the coop. But yeah, thanks for pointing out those things that were um, in the book regarding why you may not uh, choose to, to to use sand and love the rice holes. Heard that before the um, corn the corn uh, cob uh, the ground up. One question for you, um, Doc, and I got this over on my um, Facebook page, the Chicken Whisper Facebook page, and that is, and I get this quite frequently. Um, uh, where'd it go? One second. There we go. Get over to it. And it was asked again today when they saw the topic of today's show. But I get this quite frequently because there's a lot of neat products for other animals that they use for bedding and absorbency. And one that comes up often is uh, the horses. So um, are pine pellets like you get for horses and cats? A safe option to help control moisture when using uh, when using aspen shavings. So that's another one. Aspen shavings again, um, not quite as odorous, if you will, as the pine shavings. Uh, and they're a little bit finer, I think, uh, than some of the others. At that, and, and a lot of people like it better, as far as they'll say it's a little bit safer than maybe the pine and the others. But um, uh, that was her question about those bedding pellets. And you hear it a lot with horses. She's saying cats as well to help control moisture um, in, say, the the poop or even the brooder. Have have you seen people starting to use those or ask about those new products for other critters? I have have some familiarity with the pine, um, the pellets. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the only problem with them is they're expensive, um, from what I've seen. I've had some people ask me about them, and then when I tell them that they would need at least, you know, two inches thickness, um, and they, they basically said, "Oh, uh, never mind," because it, it ended up being a little expensive. But I would go to that original idea of, you know, what are the two things that we really think about when we think about what we want the, the litter material to be able to do? Um, most importantly, in my, you know, from my perspective. As a veterinarian with a focus on diseases, um, are does it absorb um, moisture? And two, are we able to reduce um, any kind of dust production? And if you talk to folks that are, you know, more keen to focus on welfare issues, you know, the other thing is you want those birds to be able to exhibit their natural behaviors as far as dust bathing um, and things like that. So those those materials, if they support all that, then I, I'm certainly not opposed to them. Um, I, I would imagine it would be a little more difficult to dust bathe in some of that material, um, especially if it's pelleted. Um, so I'd be a little cautious on that part. Um, but again, if my focus on kind of disease, um, as long as it's as long as it's able to absorb the moisture and as long as you're not getting any dust um, production, I'd, I'd be supportive of it. Okay, great. Yep, so I get that question a lot. So while well, I had you, I was going to mention that a little bit. So, um, so uh, yeah, carry on, carry on. 
Yeah, so so one thing I wanted to mention is is when when people do go into um into their house um and they start looking at the material, um it's really important um again to to look, to feel, to smell um, and not to gross anyone out, but when I walk into a house, I will pick up the material, put it between my hands, and there's poop in there. Um, and and you should be able to, um, you know, you should be able to start looking at the poop and understanding whether it is uh, normal or not normal. Um, and the only way you can do that is by um, starting to to kind of assess that. And maybe for another radio show, we can certainly talk about you know what cecal droppings are versus intestinal droppings. I think that'd be a good conversation to have because that's probably one of the more common types of phone calls and uh, emails I get with attached photographs um, asking, you know, is this normal? Is this not normal? Um, But as you start looking at litter quality, as you start kind of assessing it, it's really important to start saying, um, hey, there's also poop in here. Maybe I should start looking at that and seeing if that's normal or not normal. And that's a really good way to assess the health of your birds. Um, So I, I would highly uh, recommend people starting to to kind of look at the material, take pictures of it, see what normal and and characterize and start understanding what abnormal is. The one thing I will mention with sand, the only time you really always want to use sand is if you are going to use diatomaceous earth. Um, so the um, playground sand gets mixed with the diatomaceous earth, put into a litter box, and then that is a great um, effective mitigation against ectoparasites, especially mites. Um, so if you are going to have sand or if you do have sand, always mix it with diatomaceous earth in a, a four to one ratio, sand to DE, uh, DE standing for diatomaceous earth. Uh, put that in a litter box. For some reason, the, the research suggests if you just throw diatomaceous earth out there, it will not work. Um, so you need that litter box. You need that mixture with sand. And just be careful with diatomaceous earth. You know, you're, you're going to use food grade DE, um, but it's still really volatile. Um, so you don't want uh, young lungs um, getting near that stuff because it, when I say it's volatile, it really can form a dust plume really easily. That stuff is very um, – it can penetrate. <laughs> it, can, it can aerosolize very easily. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, Definitely. So when I was kind of talking about, you know, if you have poor quality litter, what are the things that can happen? Um, so obviously mm-hmm. we talked about the ammonia smell. Um, that litter, um, when it gets wet, though, um, can also cause a bunch of health issues, um, including um, it can cause foot pad dermatitis. Uh, so if their feet are kind of constantly moist, they can get um, bacterial infections in their, in their feet. Um, and they can also cause what are called breast blisters. That's more of a broiler issue. Um, but as that material, they, they, they actually, the, the birds have a bursa, like basically just a little uh, sack um, at their breastbone. Um, and when that becomes inflamed by trauma and moisture and rubbing, um, that fluid in there can, can really become uh, like a blister um, and it can get irritated and infected also. So I've certainly seen that. Um, and, and when you see those type of problems, that you, you don't just want to, especially as a veterinarian, you don't want to just treat um, the uh, the foot pad dermatitis. You want to now. You want to say, okay, if we have this, the the whole problem is a husbandry related problem. We need to not. We need to address the birds issue. But the the best way to address the birds issue at some level is to go back to the coop and and address the challenges there. Um, so my point is, is that when you do have wet litter, now you're dealing with health issues, you're dealing with respiratory mm-hmm. issues, um, potentially, um, when, when, and when you have those issues, the birds aren't going to eat or drink as much, um, you know, so, so those are really important things to do. 
when you try to assess the litter, it's really important to go through all parts of your house. I, and these are usually really small backyard coops, but you want to pick up the litter in all the different areas. Because typically what happens, and, and I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know, where do you think the most moisture is going to be? It's probably going to be near the waters. Um, and it's really important to realize that there is a mountain of research that says the more moisture you have, the more E. coli, the more Campylobacter, the more Clostridia um, that you're going to have in that specific area. So birds drink a lot. They're not going to eat if they don't drink. So they're spending lots of time near their drinkers. And if there's a lot of moisture around there, now you're exposing them to a high concentration of bacteria. So what I don't want people to do is when they walk into the house, just pick up the litter right when they walk in, do that what we call that convenience sample, and say, oh, litter's fine. No, go to the places where the birds are, feeders, waters, wherever they're hanging out the most. And that's the litter you really want to look at. And what I've told people in the past is make a little map. Um, you know, make, if you have a memory like mine, you probably can't remember much, so make in your notebook, um, make a little map and maybe once a week, you know, um, try four different areas that are kind of high strategically used areas and, and kind of assess the moisture there. Look to see if that, if that litter is friable or not friable because you will eventually have some disease problems if you're constantly having moisture coccidiosis, E. coli, et cetera, et cetera, if you constantly have moisture where those birds are hanging out. And then the other thing I would point out is look at the distribution of the birds in your house. So if you have a, you know, let's say a 50-square-foot house or whatever it be, 20-square-foot house, whatever it be, look at the, 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 the distribution of the birds. Is there one corner the birds are not going in? Because birds are smart. They're not going to go in areas that are cold. They're not going to go in areas that are wet. So if you think, oh, I've got adequate space for my birds, but they never go in that far corner there, well, maybe they don't go in that far corner there because there's a lot of moisture because it's leaking in from the roof. Maybe they don't go in that far corner because there's a crack in the wall and that allows cool air to kind of blow in and birds don't really like wind for the most part. Um, so, so don't just think like, oh, there's plenty of room for the birds. And if, if they're only stay, hanging out in one half of the house or one half of your backyard um, um, coop, then there's probably a reason that's so, and you you, you know you can be a, a scientist and investigate and figure out why that is. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is you know how do you address wet litter? So we talked about why we don't want let, wet litter, but now the thing is, well, what can we do to to mitigate that? Uh, one thing, obviously, we want to think about the density of our birds. So uh, in general, we don't want more than one bird per two square feet. Um, we want to use litter. We want to choose a good litter and have that um, at least uh, two to three inches thick um, so it can absorb material. Um, we don't typically want to, and you mentioned this earlier, we don't want to have um, – there, there should be no reason for owners to go in and clean up fecal material. It's not like a litter box. Um, the, the, ideally, the birds are really good at um, basically rototilling their fecal material into that litter material. And then that litter goes through aerobic, anaerobic digestion and breaks down um, all the fecal material and then shouldn't have any odor issues and, 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 and things like that. If you're going in there and having to take the, the material out, if you have time and you're fastidious and you want to do that, sure, that's fine. Don't add new material. Um, that, that is typically not done because um, we don't want to create new niches for pathogenic bacteria to uh, grow and proliferate. So if our birds are healthy, the last thing we want to do is take out the old litter material and put new litter material in. Now, That's a great have, point. Um, yeah. That's a great point because I think the people that do that are using sand, and obviously the poop 
is not going to really mix with that sand like the, uh, the other types of litter. So maybe Correct. they're doing that because they feel like they have to. Maybe they're doing that because it just sits there on top of the sand and doesn't actually get mixed in. And then if it does, it's just this big clump of poop with sand all mixed in it uh, sitting on the So maybe they're doing it because uh, they have that um, uh, litter box mentality of, oh, I can use this as a litter box, or the fact that they're seeing that, that, oh, this just kind of sits there, clumps, they're, they're, if they try to mix it in, it's just this clump of poo, but now that has sand all over it. So that might be a, a catch-22 for the folks that are using sand. But I wanted to throw that in there because that was a great point. No, thanks for connecting the dots that way. That that's You're absolutely right, and I couldn't have said it better myself there. Um, and then the other thing you want to do is have good ventilation. So we talked about this, this, um, the litter is really good at absorbing moisture, um, but it's only so good at absorbing moisture. And there's a interplay of it's absorbed moisture, and then you want low humidity and ventilation to kind of um, uh, allow evaporation to happen. So controlling humidity in backyard coops is not really an option, but the thing we can't control is ventilation. So when you can open up doors, when you can open up uh, windows or curtains or however you have your coop set up, you want to be able to facilitate that, that proper ventilation to allow that material to, uh, to dry. Um, and then, again, look at those droppings, because if you're having a problem and you've been using the same litter and the same birds, and maybe now we're dealing with a disease issue, or maybe we're dealing with a nutrition issue. Um, so those are all really important things to think about. The last thing I really want to talk about is there are a lot of backyarders, uh, especially in California, I would imagine in other states um, just as much, that are really keen to use the litter material as a soil amendment. And I love the idea. It's great, you know, when you think about sustainability and the idea of, you know, kind of creating your own little, um, um, you know, cycle as far as, you know, following nutrients through and utilizing the, the poultry's nutrients from their fecal material and the litter and composting those together. Um, but the thing I want to stress is never take that material and go directly to your backyard with it. Um, because, as we know, there's potentially salmonellas there and clostridium and uh, E. coli's and a lot of bacteria that can be pathogenic. And if you are growing what we call touch crops, so those are things that um, are uh, touching the ground, so think of like lettuce or carrots or things like that. If you're growing those touch crops, then you are really kind of playing with fire, especially because a lot of those touch crops we eat raw. So um, obviously we all rinse our vegetables and things like that before we eat them, but rinsing uh, onions and uh, lettuce is not trivial um, and doesn't mean you're going to be able to get all the pathogenic bacteria off of there. Um, so the one thing I will stress is never go directly, and, and there's been surveys that have shown that some people do this, never go directly from the material in your, um, in your backyard, in your coop, excuse me, from that litter material there that has, fecal material mixed in there, even though it's been broken down, never go directly from there to your backyard. That's really important. So in that situation, you want to compost. Um, and there are a gazillion online resources for composting. This time of year, composting can be really challenging, uh, especially for people that don't have tons of material, because to get to the internal temperatures that you need, um, you usually need a pretty big pile of material to get to 130, 140, 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So that can be challenging. 
Um, what I do tell people, and this is just a philosophy I have about most things in life, is don't make perfect the enemy of good. Um, so having a compost pile, having a composting system, uh, and, a, and a thermometer uh, where you do um, mix the pile, um, you are able to get to you know temperatures that are close to the, the temperatures that I mentioned um, for you know four to six weeks are, is going to reduce the amount of bacteria. And the one thing I really want to point out is that even when you look at the EPA's guidelines on what they allow as far as pathogenic bacteria, E. coli's and salmonella's in composted material, they do not have a zero tolerance policy. Um, they do allow some uh, E. coli and salmonella in there. Um, and that's just because it becomes very challenging to eliminate all of those bacteria. So you are starting with a much higher load and you're getting to a much lower load is kind of basically the, 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 the reality of how most composting works. Do you, if you do it properly, do you, uh, does the entire pile get completely sterilized from pathogenic bacteria? Maybe, you know, but, but it, that, is a, that is a challenge. And, and what I would say is, um, you know, again, don't make, in my opinion, don't make perfect uh, the enemy of good, especially with those EPA guidelines. It is very, unless you have uh, someone who's immunocompromised or, um, you know, ha is, is, is uh, very young and, and, and can't be challenged um, with any kind of pathogenic bacteria, for most of us, for most of the rest of us, uh, when we do get exposed to, you know, some of these pathogenic organisms, it's, it's in such a low concentration, it's below what, we could, what, what, what the infectious dose is. Um, so just be aware of that, but never just use that material straight from the, the, the farm um, to the, um, um, to the, to, 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 from, from, from the uh, poultry to, uh, directly to the farm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah. So those, sorry. No, please go ahead. <laughs> okay. So th those are some of the main things. Now, when you when you think about composting, the only thing I wanted to mention in, in addition to that is um, there are a different ways to do that. And, and the thing that you want to kind of focus on, you want to make sure that that material is not an, is not becoming a magnet for rodents. So uh, rodents will like that litter material. They, like, they love rice holes and some of the stuff that's mixed in that rice holes because there's sometimes some feed in there. Um, maybe there's some undigested um, uh, feed in some of the fecal material. So when you do compost, make sure that your composter is off the ground. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Some people will use tarps and just basically create um, a compost pile and put a tarp over it and allow that tarp um, to kind of trap heat and get warm and get to those temperatures. Get a composting thermometer. Um, and and um, but but my point is, don't let rodents in there because. <laughs> Once you allow rodents in there, now you're dealing with brand new uh, organisms, brand new pathogens that can um, cause challenges. Um, so that's really important to think about also. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of go back to briefly was just the idea, and I don't know if we have time to talk about it. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but I wanted to talk a little about some of the, the fecal material um, issues um, because when you think about litter, when you're, and you're going to be picking up litter, and you're going to be putting it in your hands and clumping it, um, it's really important to start looking at some of the, the fecal material that, 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 that you see from there. And one thing I want to point out, if, you're ever, if you ever pick up droppings, just pick up the poop itself. Like let's say you, know, you have sand and you just pick up the poop. Um, you, you can squeeze it. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, if it drips, that's not right. So that's that's kind of the again that kind of rule of thumb that you want to use about okay are my birds 
is there too much moisture in there? Why is there too much moisture in there would be the next question. But once you start seeing that, um, you need to be really aware that, okay, there's something wrong. It might not be GI-related. It might be uh, related to some uh, viruses, for example, that can affect kidneys. It uh, could be related to the amount of water they're, they're drinking, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I wanted to make the point just in the time that we have left that chickens produce two types of poop. Um, there's the in intestinal, which is basically the usual type, and there's also the cecal droppings. And that cecal dropping, um, I, I've had a lot of people kind of call me and send me all kinds of crazy photographs of what they think are abnormal. So those cecal droppings are usually dark brown um, and sticky um, as opposed to regular intestinal droppings, which are solid, um, which usually have kind of a white <coughs> outer layer to them. Um, so it's really important to kind of remember that there's these two kinds of poops, and the cecal droppings are basically the uh, from the cecum. You have these two kind of blind pouches in the GI tract that are really good at digesting certain types of fiber, um, and the cecal droppings are just the digestate to the the, the 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 manure from those those actual droppings. Um, again, both droppings, the intestinal and the cecal droppings, shouldn't be wet. Um, and the cecal droppings especially should not be light in color. Um, uh, and if you do have those, then, then that's, again, um, where we start, you know, kind of having a conversation about nutrition or about disease. Um, and that's where uh, extension veterinarians, your regular veterinarians, and uh, the diagnostic labs can be really, really helpful. The white, the white part of that is, uh, is urites. Is that yeah, those that are the right? urites. Exactly. Like they don't have Urites, okay. It's not necessarily they don't have urine, they don't pee, but the white part, uh, just in case we have new listeners, um, that white part uh, that you see is the, the urites. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. great. Yep, and that's, that's cool. about all cool. I had. Is there anything, any questions or anything specific that you I want me to chat about? Didn't see any. I'll check back over uh, to the Facebook page and see if we have any over there. And uh, We had that one about the uh, horse and the uh, cat. Uh, pellets, so I have to see if uh, any others during the show that were actually posted. And I forgot to, um, no, I don't see any. I forgot to open the chat room today. I was something I was going to do for uh, a startup again in 2018. Uh, for those who can listen, or maybe they can't listen at work, but they could still participate in the chat room. I was going to try, and I forgot totally to do two things today. I forgot one was to do uh, chicken in the news segment. We're going to try to get back to that at the beginning of the show. And then we were going to do uh, start opening the chat room and see how we can get it to grow for two out 2018, so they can chat while we're listening and then post questions there. Makes it a little bit easier, and then talk amongst other chicken keepers and get ideas from from others as well. So we were going to do that, and I just forgot that. So shame on me. But um, uh, Maurice, thanks for uh, you can't do it all. Thanks for coming on the show today. Great topic. We covered a lot of interesting things this show. It was it was, uh, it was super duper, and I think a lot of people got a lot from it, taking notes and. Um, Thanks for all your insight on this. It's, it's an important topic, especially the newbies that are starting this year, maybe with their backyard flock as they're now starting to look through the chicken magazines and going to order their first baby chicks or and uh, something important for them to know. And I, I, what I'm taking away from this really is the shocking that and I've been around you know, a few coops, obviously, uh, traveling the country, but um, the fact that you, at least in, in your area, see more backyard groups that just don't use bedding uh, than do. And, and, is, and, and I don't know, it's interesting to see next year, if we cover this again, uh, the, more you, the more you go out as, as these bedding 
producers, these betting companies, and they're they're coming out. I mean, I just I have betting right now at the UPS store. I got to go pick it up. It was sent to me by uh, somebody else, uh, another company that I don't know if they're traditionally been doing betting, or they. Um, Oh, there we go. Okay, now I'm connected back. Um, Bluetooth screwed up a little bit. But um, I don't know if uh, they – are you still with us, Doc? Yes, yes. Okay, got gotcha. So I don't I don't know if they're already doing betting and say, hey, let's capitalize on the backyard chicken movement and we'll do some betting for backyard chickens, or if we have folks that, that have always done amendments and things that you sprinkle into the betting to help ammonia and, 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 and absorption that are now getting into that. So I, it'll be interesting to see, Doc, in the next few years – uh, as more and more of these, um, what's the word I'm looking for, custom betting options uh, and, and see if the, the stores are start carrying more choices of, of betting for their chicken customers. But we'll see as more of these uh, specialty betting items come out with the different uh, uh, mixtures and additives that help with ammonia and absorption and odor and things, if more backyarders will start using the, the betting uh, uh, than, than not. So that'll be interesting to uh, see in the future because there are a lot that have come out in the last two or three years betting this, betting that, and I won't mention any names, but uh, I, I honestly have two huge, I didn't pick it up yesterday because I was in the car, not the truck, but two huge boxes waiting on me right now to go get the betting to you know, handle the smell, to try out, and and, 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 and see. I was going to send some down to Lisa uh, as well and have her to maybe do a review on it, but um, there's a lot of that coming out. So that that's that took that away. I was kind of surprised at your findings there. But thank you very much for coming on, and we'll look forward to having you on next month. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good, good talking to you. Take care. All righty, folks. That's going to wrap up a uh, another great show. Uh, Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisperer brought to you by our good friends at Kalmbach Feeds. Check them out. Um, I have been with uh, my share of feed companies in the past, and Man, I'm telling you, I think I'm going on in my fourth year with Kalmbach, and whew, I'm telling you, touring their facilities, um, they're, I mean, right in oh, the, the manual, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's just no comparison uh, compared with Kalmbach compared to some of the other companies I've been with and touring all the facilities. It's it's fabulous. See if they're in your area. Uh, check out Kalmbach Feeds and see if you can get that and ask your other friends that if they're using it, the results they're saying it's fabulous feed. So, um, hey, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week, uh, which I think is the 18th. Yeah, the 18th. We'll have uh, poultry scientist Dr. McCray on next week, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I think we'll have the um, CEO, president, manager, somebody high up in in the business, the creator, the inventor, <laughs> all the above, um, on next uh, Thursday, the 18th, where we'll actually officially launch this new product we've been talking about. That's why I wanted you earlier in the show to go, if you give your chickens mealworms, uh, to go get them. We took time for you to get your little bag of mealworms, look at them, hold them, uh, roll them around in, in your hand, and then break them apart and look inside and see that they are, what are they, what are they? Hello, um, and we'll be uh, launching that. We hope to have the president or someone high up in the company um, with this new new uh, product partnership talking about their product, and uh, we'll have a special for you, of course. All our listeners will we'll transfer that over to Facebook as well if you can't listen next week. But um, So you can see for yourself the difference between hollow and full of good stuff. 
for your backyard chickens. So, uh, hey, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week um, uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless everybody. And cue the music. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. That was my little princess. <laughs>